Welcome to worship. My name is Sheila and I'll be your host for this online worship experience. We're so glad that you joined us today. If this is your first time with us, we wanna invite you to check in with us, maybe provide an email address. And this coming week, we will send you a Starbucks gift card. Coffee is on us. This is week two of our sermon series about David. Pastor Spencer has a great message just ahead for us. And speaking of the sermon, we have sermon discussion questions and more that you'll find online at schweitzer.church next. And now here's Corey with our announcements. Hello and welcome to Schweitzer Church. We are so glad you're here. I'm Corey Lucivo, Director of Connections. This Friday, June 9th, is our Schweitzer Night at the Ballpark with a game time of 7.05 p.m. If you've already signed up, come and pick up your printed tickets at the Blue Booth today. And if you still need tickets, we have a few available. The men's ensemble will be singing and we'll have a blast together as a group, watching baseball and enjoying hot dogs, fireworks, and more. This is a perfect outing for our Schweitzer family and friends. We have a beautiful space for prayer and gathering next to our neighborhood garden, right outside the prayer chapel. If you would like to have a paver engraved in memory or honor of someone, please submit your registration info no later than June 30th. Sign up today online at schweitzer.church pavers or fill out a form at the blue booth today. Coming up this Wednesday night, June 7th at 6.30 p.m., Schweitzer Kids is hosting R&R Night, which means parents get a night out and kids have a blast. This is open to kids fourth grade and younger. We just ask that you register to let us know your kids will be there. Sign up and learn more today at schweitzer.church kids or on the Church Center app. Also that night, Schweitzer students will be gathering for their Wednesday night worship that's taking place monthly during the summer. We know it's getting into the busy time of year and we want to encourage you to stay connected. You can find our weekly services, podcast, and online resources anytime at our Schweitzer Church YouTube channel. This is a great way to keep growing in your faith and stay connected with the sermon series. Once again, we are so glad you're here. Now, let's continue in worship. Thanks, Corey, for those great announcements. We invite you to join us for any or all of these great things that are happening at Schweitzer Church. If you're joining us live today, we invite you to join in the chat. Say hello to your friends or give us your insights. And if you're in need of prayer, we have someone waiting for you right now in the prayer room. Just press that button and we'll be right with you. And now on this beautiful day, let's continue in worship. I'm far from innocent 
shackles I wear, I bought on my own. The scarlet sins had a crimson cause, and nailed my debt to that old rugged cross, and empty slave. Thank God that stone was rolled away. Lord, I confess I've been the prodigal made for your house, but walked my own. Then she.
that old rugged cross An empty slate at the empty grave Thank God that stone was rolled away As we come to this time of prayer today, I invite you to join me as we pray together. Holy God, it is such an honor to be in your presence today. And God, we praise you for who you are and for all the many blessings that you bestow on each one of us. God, we sometimes forget to see those blessings and to appreciate the little miracles of each day. We give it all up to you, Lord. We have so many things on our hearts and minds and we wanna offer those to you because you know you're already aware. We pray for those who are hurting, those who are sick, and suffering, those who are dealing with depression and loneliness. And God, we pray for those who are dealing with giants in their own lives. We know that sometimes they feel overwhelming, but God, if we can lay those things at your feet, we know that you will deal with those and be with us as we face the giants in our everyday lives. We thank you, Lord, for all you are doing for us and with us and for your presence here with us each and every day. And now, Lord, we wanna pray together the prayer that your son taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we come to this time of offering, I wanna share with you about a great ministry that's happening here at Schweitzer Church. Jobs for Life is a program that walks alongside folks that are looking for new employment. They teach them skills for interviews, how to dress for success, and we help them through this entire process. We are so proud this week to celebrate the graduates from this great ministry, and we wanna thank you for your support. It's because of what you give to the church that allows us to do this ministry and many others. You can continue giving at schweitzer.church give. Thank you so much for supporting ministry through our church. And now here's Pastor Spencer with week two, David and Goliath.
Friends, welcome today. I'm so glad that you've joined us. My name is Spencer. Uh, today is part two of our, of our series on King David, one of the most important, influential people in the whole Bible. He's so important, there's so much about him that we're spending all summer on his story. We're starting Memorial Day weekend all the way through Labor Day weekend, diving deep into King David's story because there's just so much there. And today, 1 Samuel 17, if you have your Bibles, you'll wanna follow along with us. We're doing a lot of Bible study throughout this series. This is David at his absolute best. We get to read one of the most incredible, inspiring, encouraging stories in the whole Bible as we read about David and Goliath. And my favorite thing about David and Goliath is that it doesn't teach you what you think it does. Let's get into this. First Samuel 17, the story opens. Um, the Israel army and the Philistine army are getting ready to face off in battle. And as is custom in, in those ancient days, there would often be a champion on either side who would go and fight on behalf of their whole army. And, and the idea was that whoever won that one-on-one, man-on-man kind of fight, that they would then be the victors and then therefore you could maybe not have the whole battle. And so these, these armies are facing off and the Philistines sent out their champion. His name is Goliath. And here's how the Bible um, introduces him. It says, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. There's fairly wide consensus that he's probably somewhere around six foot nine. In the ancient world, that's a very, very large person. So he's not a giant, but he is a giant of a man. But the Bible spends actually less time on his stature and more time on his armor. So listen to this, verse five. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. It's a lot of shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. So not only is Goliath a giant of a man, he is very, very well armed. So every day, Goliath dressed for battle. He comes out and he challenges the Israelites to send out their champion. And every day, all of Israel cowers in fear. Verse 11, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Notice how the Bible points out that Saul, in particular, is terrified. Because Saul is the current king of Israel. And, and part of the reason he was chosen as king when we first meet him way back in 1 Samuel is he's, he's chosen because he stands head and shoulders above all the other Israelites. That's how it's said um, in the Bible. He's, he's tall. He looks like a warrior. He looks like a champion. And so, and so because like he has this role, he should be the one who's going out to, to face to face Goliath, but him, just like everyone else, is terrified. And so they're, they're cowering in their tents and they're dismayed and terrified. And so the Bible tells us this goes on for 40 days where Goliath comes out day after day to challenge the people of Israel until finally, finally, the eighth son of Jesse shows up. And this young boy, David, who's not yet king, he's probably 14, 15 years old at the time, He's so young that he's not even in the army. He's just bringing provisions for his seven older brothers. And he comes and he brings this provisions. And while he's there, while he's talking to his brothers, giving them food, Goliath comes out for his daily mockery and taunting. And he stands up to mock the Israelites. And this day, though, David is in town. Something's different. Someone's not afraid of all of this. And like every other day, everyone else hears Goliath and runs and hides, but not David, this young shepherd. Verse 26, so David asked the men sitting near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? 
Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? How great is that line? Well, after some uh, arguing with his brothers, some drama with his brothers, because every family has some dysfunction in it, uh, word finally gets up to King Saul that there's uh, someone who's willing to go face Goliath. And so David is brought to King Saul. Finally, someone's going to do this. When Saul meets David, he sees what everyone else sees. He sees a young shepherd, not a warrior. And so this is what we read. Verse 33, Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistines. You're not able to go out there and fight him. You're only a young man. He's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's flock, his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came out and carried off a sheep from the flock, he, I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, this is so good. You should underline this in your Bible. He says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Well, Saul is, he's out of options at this point. So, I mean, he, he doesn't, he's not going to go fight Goliath. So he commissions David to go. He dresses David in his armor. He gives him a shield and a spear and a sword. And David puts it on and he realized this isn't, this isn't me. So he takes it all off. And instead he goes to the nearby stream and he picks up five smooth stones he goes out with his sling and he goes off the shepherd boy to fight. He's too young. He's too inexperienced. He's not a warrior, not dressed for battle. And Goliath sees all of this. He sees that he's just a boy. He doesn't have armor. So Goliath says this, verse 43, he said to David, am I a dog? Did you come out with me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. And he'll give all of you into our, our hands. As the Philistines moved, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. And reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. And so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. No question about it. This is one of the greatest stories in the whole Bible. It's so good. It's so inspiring. It has one of the greatest speeches in the Bible. It's just so incredible. And what I love most is it doesn't teach you what you think it does. You see, there's this uh, really common way of reading David and Goliath that goes something like this. Uh, all of us have giants in our life, not literal giants, not literal Goliaths, but all of us have obstacles and challenges that we face that seem insurmountable. And so, and so we have sicknesses, maybe we have uh, challenges at work, we've got family dysfunction, we've got relationships, we've got addiction, secrets, whatever it might be. Like we all have challenges, we all, we all have temptations. And these challenges, these giants, they just, they just feel insurmountable to us. So we don't know what to do, so, so they make us afraid. And, and so we read David and Goliath and we think, well, because of God's help, I can be like David. And I, 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 can, I can face my challenge head on. And most importantly, like David, I can overcome. 
It's a great story. This is a, a common reading of David and Goliath. And I'm just going to call this a, um, a surface level reading of David and Goliath as well. I mean, it, it makes sense why we read David and Goliath like that. I mean, for one, we, we all want to see ourselves as the hero of the story. I mean, we definitely want to do that. Um, and, and two, it's encouraging just for us to think that with God's help, I can, I can overcome against impossible odds, against things that are insurmountable, that I can overcome them. And so while the surface reading is, is, is very important, it's what I, or it was very common, it's, very, it's what I learned in, as a kid in Sunday school, um, I want to point out to you that there is a message about David and Goliath that we find here that is so much deeper and so much better and so much more encouraging and so much more helpful than the common reading that I would call this deeper reading um, good news. Now, to frame this, this deeper reading, beyond just going beyond the surface level reading, um, I think it's helpful to frame this by, by going to something that David himself wrote to kind of understand how David felt about this, this battle that he was in. So um, one of the greatest things about, about David's life in the Bible is that not only do we have the events of his life in First and Second Samuel, we also have his prayer journal, the, the book of Psalms, the longest book in the Bible where he wrote prayers and songs and poems about the various things that he was going on in his life. And, and we don't know this for sure, but there's this one Psalm that he wrote that has a long tradition of saying that David wrote this because of his battle with David and, against Goliath. Now I say we don't know this for sure, it's a tradition, but it is a tradition that dates back to at least 300 years before Jesus. So it's a very long tradition that locates this Psalm as, as being written because of David's battle against Goliath. So let's go read it. It's Psalm 144. We're not going to read all of it, but I just want to read the first few verses to really show the framing of how David thought about this battle with Goliath and how it drives us to something deeper than just, I need to be like David and overcome my challenges. So here's what, what it writes. Verse, verse 1, David writes, Praise be to the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. Now, David's confidence to face Goliath comes from what? What is it? I mean, we just read it. It's, it's the Lord, right? That's, that's confidence. Like, not one time does David mention his own experience or expertise or ability. No, everything here was, was clearly about what the Lord does. And we see this reflected in 1 Samuel 17. So when David goes to fight Goliath, think about some of the things he says in the various speeches he makes. Going back to 1 Samuel 17, we've read these verses already once, but listen to what he says. This is to King Saul. He says, The Lord, who rescued me from the, law of the, pie, the, the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. It's the Lord who does this. To Goliath in verse 45, he says, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Again to Goliath, verse 47, he says, All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the um, battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. So one more time, this is so key. David's confidence to face Goliath, this insurmountable challenge, has nothing to do with his ability his expertise, or his experience. That is why when David goes out to face Goliath, um, he takes off Saul's armor. 
He, he's not going to rely on sword and shield and, and, the, and the helmet and the armor that he's had. He's, he's not going to face Goliath with his own ability, experience, or expertise. He's not going to face Goliath with even conventional wisdom. He goes out to face Goliath instead, focused on what the Lord can do. And this listen, leads to what he writes next. The very next verse in verse 40, uh, Psalm 144, after talking about the ability of the Lord, David writes this, verse 3. Lord, what are human beings that you care for them, mere mortals that you think of them. They are like a breath. Their days are like a fleeting shadow. And then the psalm is going to go on and on and celebrate the victory that the Lord brings. But we need to to pay attention to this because David just lays two truths side by side that are just so important. On one hand, he highlights the ability of the Lord. The Lord is my strength. He's my fortress. He's my shield. He's my rock. And then right next to it, verse 3 and 4, he lays this other truth where he talks about the frailty of people. I mean, our lives are but a breath. We're just a shadow. I mean, we are, we are nothing. And these, these two things side by side, the ability of the Lord and the frailty of people, this is key, key, key to understanding how David defeats Goliath. Because you see that the surface level reading of David and Goliath is that we can be like David, we have insurmountable challenges, things that make us afraid, but with God's help, we can overcome our enemies, right? That's the surface level reading. We can face our addictions. We can overcome our bad marriage. We can find joy in our suffering, whatever it might be, whatever our insurmountable challenge might be. Just like David, we can overcome. That's the surface level reading. But the problem with that surface level reading is that it doesn't take into account the second truth here, that the human frailty is a real thing. Or at least it doesn't take human frailty into account enough. It doesn't account for it enough. Because if you read David and Goliath and you read this understanding, this challenge of human frailty, you realize that the main um, problem with the surface level reading of David and Goliath is that we've been identifying with the wrong person. We see ourselves as David going off to face our Goliaths and uh, we do this with God's help, but it's, and you know, as we see ourselves like this, we, we also have to understand that that becomes um, the overcoming becomes on our shoulders. It's, it's, our, it's our thing to overcome. And so, you know, we sling the stone and we slay the giant and we overcome our fears and, and we will that to be. And, and so therefore, if we think that, you know, I'm gonna go face my Goliath and I'm gonna go face my challenges, I'm gonna do this, then I need to make sure that I'm not afraid, that, you know, I'm living right, that I'm not, you know, living in sin, that I'm prayed up, that I've read my Bible, that I'm focused on the right kinds of things. And very quickly, if you, if you think about it, the surface level reading becomes, what am I going to do to overcome my giants in my life? And inevitably, the takeaway for David and Goliath on a surface level reading becomes, you just need to try harder. That's where it ends. You just need to try harder. Yeah, God's going to give you help, but you just need to try harder. So what if we've been identifying with the wrong person in the story? Because what if there's a person in the story that's so much more like us than, than David is? What if there's a person in the story who really lives into human frailty and we're not considering their story? Because honestly, sometimes when we've got Goliaths in our lives, we've got these challenges and obstacles that we don't know how to overcome, we don't go running at them with a sling and five smooth stones. More often than not, we find ourselves standing on the sidelines, paralyzed in fear, stuck, not knowing what to do. This is how most of us actually handle this. We have challenges that we face and we don't even know where to begin. And so you see, we, we don't need to see ourselves as David. We need to see ourselves 
as the Israelites, paralyzed in fear, facing challenges we don't know how to overcome, not sure what to do. We're shaking in fear. We're wondering, where is God? How are we going to get out of this? How are we going to overcome? Why doesn't God do something? And then we see God's solution. So what is God's solution to the Israelites? Well, he doesn't tell the Israelites to go fight this battle. He doesn't send the prophet in to tell them, you need to get your stuff together. You need to get your life together. You need to be more brave. You need to willpower and have more willpower. You need to, you know, tell yourself, you need to have a, a like, you know, pump up your, your adrenaline here. You need to be prayed up. You need to do more. You need to think more, like, more positively. Like, that's not what the prophet does. He doesn't, God doesn't send a prophet to tell them that they need to get their life together in order to go face this. Instead, what does God do? God raises up an unlikely warrior to go fight Goliath for you. You might even say, as a substitute. God raises up an unlikely warrior that goes and fights your battle for you, and he wins an unlikely victory on your behalf. You see, this is where we've gotten on this all mixed up. We think the point of David and Goliath is to show us that we can overcome. But really, that's not what the story is about. What this is really about is it's showing us how God brings victory to his people. Because just like David and Goliath, this is still how God brings victory to his people. That God raises up an unlikely warrior that, that comes and, and wins an unlikely victory for his people. Not with five smooth stones and a sling, but really with three nails and an empty grave. You see, David and Goliath is, is showing us a taste of the ultimate victory that God is going to bring to the whole world for, for all of creation and, and our unlikely warrior who wins this unlikely victory, this descendant of David himself, Jesus the Messiah, he doesn't just defeat a human enemy, he defeats the greatest of enemies, Satan and death, so that we can truly have nothing left to fear, not because we've overcome, but because he has. This is where we have to start shifting this because understanding that we have a victory that's already been won for us because we have an unlikely warrior who's won this unlikely victory. And so now what we need to do is we need to be thinking, okay, so what is the Christian posture then? Like, what do we do with this? We still have enemies out there. We still have Goliaths that we face. So as a Christian, someone who believes and understands that, that Jesus is my substitute, just like David was the Israelite substitute, He's won me this victory. What is the Christian posture now that I know that there is this victory that's available to me? And as I, as I pose that question, as I think about what this means and how you apply this, I can't help but think of something that Paul wrote in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I think this is so helpful. Um, we're going to start in verse 2 and kind of work our way through this. But listen to how Paul talks about a struggle that he has in his life and what the Christian posture is, understanding that the victory is ours because of the work of the Messiah. Here's what Paul writes. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Now, we're catching this kind of mid-thought, but Paul is talking here, this, this man in Christ that he knows, he's talking about himself. Um, I know a man who had this incredible experience with God. I don't want to say it, but it's me. That's kind of what's happening here. Verse three. And I know that this man whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, What was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. And then verse five, this is so good. He says, I will boast about a man like that, 
but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Now you need to underline, circle, highlight, box in that word weaknesses. It's so good. So Paul's like, you're not going to hear me talk about how spiritual I am. You're not going to hear me talk about what a great leader I am and all the things I've done. What I will boast about is my weakness. And there's a reason for that. Listen, he says, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one will think of me more, uh, think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. And because of these surpassingly great revelations, so now he's set the table. Now pay attention to what he says next. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Listen to those words. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, what, what is this about? What is he talking about here? Well, no one really knows exactly, but there are some, some thoughts out there of what Paul is talking about when he says he has this thorn in this flesh, a messenger of Satan. And I actually think it's helpful to name some of the theories that are out there because it helps maybe normalize what maybe he's talking about here. So here, these are just theories. No one knows really know what this is for sure, but some speculation about what he's talking about here. Kind of three main thoughts. First, some people think that Paul is talking about a physical problem he has. Some people think that physical problem is um, maybe blindness. There's evidence in his writing that he has bad eyes. Could be. Other people think that maybe the physical problem is that he has had uh, such a hard life in all of his travels. Uh, he's been beaten up and left for dead multiple times, been shipwrecked, bit, got bit by a snake once. I mean, there's all kinds of things that maybe just the physical wear and tear on his body has caught up to him and he's just living in pain. Maybe that's the, the thorn in his flesh. I don't know. That's just one thought. Some people think that the thorn in the flesh might be um, more like mental health. So he travels a lot. He's by himself a lot. He uh, maybe he's lonely. He's had opposition in city after city after city, and maybe that's just worn him down and he's got some depression. I, I don't know. Maybe that's what's going on. Other people think that maybe the thorn in the flesh is a, is a spiritual thing, like maybe a, a specific temptation that he struggles with that he just keeps fighting with and fighting with and fighting with. Here's the thing. I have no idea what the thorn in the flesh is, but I think it's fascinating to hear a man like Paul, a giant of the faith, a, a, a person who is responsible, like probably most responsible for the Christian movement surviving the first century. You hear Paul, the church planner, the evangelist, St. Paul. I think it's fascinating to hear such a giant of faith confess that he is this thorn in his flesh. Even Paul has Goliaths. Even Paul has insurmountable challenges. Even Paul has things where he's left wondering, what do I do with this? How do I overcome this? And so with that in mind, this is what he says next. This is so helpful, so helpful. Um, he says, three times, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, this Goliath in his life. But he, that is Jesus, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So it's like God says to Paul, I love it when people don't have the answers. I, I love it when people are like the Israelites and they're on the sidelines, paralyzed by fear, not knowing what to do, not knowing how to go about this. Like, I love this because then the Lord is like, then I can show off my power. Remember that dynamic? Um, the Lord's ability human frailty. What happens when those two things meet? That's when you see the power of God at work in our life.
Now, when this sunk into Paul's heart, listen to what he says next. I'm going to switch translations, go to the message. He says, once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. This problem, whatever it is, his Goliath. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. So Paul's like, even in the middle of my struggle, I still find strength. I still, I still find this because it's not, it's not mine. I don't produce the strength. It's not on my shoulders to overcome. It's not on my shoulders to figure this out. It's not just that I need to be more brave. I need to be more spiritual. I need to be better. I need to have my life together. I need to be prayed up. It's not, it's not what Paul is saying. It's like, I know that in my own weakness, in my own frailty, that is when God's power shows up. So what is the Christian posture toward our Goliaths? What do we do when we have thorns in the flesh, when we have insurmountable challenges, when we have things we don't know how we're overcome and we're paralyzed with fear, we don't know what to do? Well, it's not try harder. That's not the Christian posture. The Christian posture is not just to take more on our shoulders and to think, I need to overcome like David did. That is not the Christian posture. Now, the Christian posture to this is to understand that whatever I'm facing, no matter how big my Goliath is, no matter how insurmountable my problem might be, it's to understand first and foremost that I don't have to overcome because Jesus has. Jesus overcame. He has overcome all my enemies. He has overcome all my Goliaths. He's overcome all my thorns in the flesh. Any challenge I have that may seem insurmountable, Jesus has already overcome because he has been raised from the dead. He didn't overcome by five smooth stones. He overcame by three nails and an empty grave. Jesus has already overcome. And so when, when I understand this like mysterious, kind of counterintuitive kind of way of thinking that Jesus has overcome, then what I can do is that I can rest in that. I can rest even in my weakness. I can, I can do this because I know God is going to meet me there. Now, this isn't to say that God is going to turn everything into victory right now, right here in the way that I want it to happen. But it is to say that no matter what I face, no matter how insurmountable it might be, that I can face that with hope. Hope does not disappoint. And hope that understands that sometimes my victory is just glory. But there's victory that Jesus has shared with me. Because our unlikely warrior, Jesus the Messiah, has won an unlikely victory. And, and this unlikely victory, he's fought our battles, he's won them, he's overcome. And now he shares this with us. And I think that's some good news. Let's pray together. And so, Father, we, we have Goliaths, thorns in the flesh, insurmountable challenges. And the truth of the matter is, whether we want to admit it or not, we are so much more like the Israelites, shaking in fear, paralyzed not knowing what to do because we just, we have these challenges we don't know how to face. And so today we celebrate, we acknowledge, we honor our unlikely victor. The one who goes and fights our battles, not with five smooth stones, but three nails and an empty grave. The one who died on behalf of us and then rose victorious, defeating our greatest Goliath, our greatest enemy, Satan and death. And so Father, today we put our lives in your hands. For some of us, we have very specific challenges that we want to lay before you today. 
and just ask you for you to share your victory with us. Insurmountable things where we just understand, Lord, I am weak in this, but I need you to come through. Would you meet me in my weakness? And when we understand this, we can rest in the confidence of knowing that we belong to the one who defeated death. And so Father, today we thank you that you've given us this victory, this hope that can uh, last us through anything that we might face. And for anyone who's with us who, who doesn't know the, the, the hope that comes to the victory of Jesus, we just want to offer up a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin and would you lead my life? A simple prayer of faith that brings us and allows us to experience the victory that you have for us. Lord, we thank you and we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here with us today for worship. I want to thank the team that made this service possible and in particular thank Pastor Spencer for his meaningful message. If you know someone who would benefit from this message, I invite you to like it and share it with others. And now I invite you to come back next week for week three of our sermon series about David. Have a great week. God bless you. Fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood, immortal hills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great. And armed with cruel hate On earth is not his Thanks to them abideth 
the spirit and the gifts are through him who with the sign goods and kindred Kingdom is for